Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with, I think, what's the nickname? Princess Warrior? Yeah, well, it, it depends on if I have my hair up or if I'm competing or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> either Warrior Princess or Princess Warrior, depending on like what it is I'm doing. Depending on the hair. Uh, yeah. We are here with Antonia Lafaso, who, for those of you who have not seen her compete, it's fierce. Uh, she's always got the competition game face on. Um, but welcome. Thank you. I know you've got a busy schedule and I'm psyched to chat. Always so excited to talk to you, Chris Cosentino. <laughs> so you have, I mean, look, people have seen you on Guys Grocery Games. They've seen you on Cutthroat. They've seen you on Tournament of Champions 1 and 2 and soon to be 3. three. Um, like Top Chef, what, 2008? And then you came Yeah, 2007. Yeah, I did Top Chef Season 4 and then Top Chef Season 8, All-Stars, the original All-Stars, and then Top Chef Duels. I've been competing on television in the culinary world for the last i mean since 2007 so what is that 14 years almost 15 years how crazy is that that's yeah. crazy yeah I think my daughter my daughter was seven when i first started doing television competition cooking shows and she's going to be 22 in february so there's that wow so yeah. she's seen mom go through it yes it's pretty amazing and i think one of these things that I keep going back to with so many folks out there is like how you get the legs to run, right? And especially in our field, you really need to understand technique and flavor profiles and the craft of cooking, but also the history of it and why things work. I mean, this, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. And I think you have a really long, solid history that I think a lot of people don't know about, which I'm really excited for you to share. I mean, Spago is one of them. Yep. Um, where did you go to culinary school and how did yeah, so, you, like what made it all start what said to you like one day you woke up and you're like hmm you're making waffles with mom in the morning you go I think I'm going to be a cook for a living you know it, it's interesting because I didn't actually think about it at all you know I grew up in an Italian family where we just cooked all the time my parents owned a deli when I was a kid um, so I was always in the service industry my dad's dad owned a fruit store my, my great uncle had a pizzeria in Staten Island. And so like I was always around family members that had like delis or pizzerias or something. So the food service industry was always sort of part of what I did. Um, you know, when I was 16 years old, I started working at Hot Dog and a Stick at the, you know, the Sherman Oaks Galleria in, in the Valley, you know, exactly. We're like Fast Times at Ridgemont High was filmed. And so, I, yeah, I worked at Chin Chin. So like all through high school, I was always in the, that's what I always choose. I, that's, that was my choice was the food service industry. And I really had no idea after graduating high school what I wanted to do. I moved to New York. I did a couple of semesters at, you know, Borough of Manhattan Community College, again, working in all restaurants um, as a server, as a host, as a manager. Um, I was always so intrigued by the kitchen, but I never really thought of it as an option. I didn't look at it as like, this is what I could actually do until, and this is a funny story, I was working at Time Cafe, the original one on 7th and Bleecker, okay? where um, Chris Santos, okay, of Chopped was my chef, okay? I was 19 years old and he was the executive chef. I, so, so him and I just did a stint on Chopped together 
and him and I were talking about, it, he's like, she was a server at my restaurant at one of his first, you know, executive chef positions. And um, I, I watched him. You here. I got to stop you here because you want to talk. A lot, he had a lot of hair. He had so he had much a hair. Lot of he hair. Had so much hair. I'm, I'm in a small world at right now. Right now. He was my teaching assistant at Johnson & Wales. That's He that's was amazing. my boss. He supervised me. And I'll tell you a story. He saved my ass when I went out clubbing one night because he was also the bouncer at a nightclub that we used to go dance at. And some dude hit me in the face with a pool stick and went around for a second hit. And Santos caught it right here and took the guy out. That's, that's, how, like that's how, how small this is. Amazing. World. That's how small our world is. Yeah. That's how big the world is and as small as the world. That's like the amazing part. Um, in front of the house though you 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 got a taste of it from front of the house working in the in in the restaurant there with chris i and i did so i worked all front of the house i i was a server you know i was trying to put myself through community college so i i was only a server and chris was the very first chef that i looked at where i watched him command the line and i watched him it was almost like a, a coach which it is but i mean i didn't understand it at the time where he'd be like you guys are doing such a great job keep up the pace food looks amazing and i just remember being sort of enamored by his ability to command the line in such a positive way. Um, and even then I didn't even really think about it. That's like, I always loved cooking and I loved food and I loved eating out, but I didn't understand it to be a profession that was actually something that I could do. And it actually wasn't until I met Zaya's dad. Um, and he was just like, what, like, what do you love? You know, and I was like, well, I really love to cook. And he said, you know, I love the restaurant industry. And he was just like, well, why don't you do that? And I, and I was like, well, I didn't really think that that was a, like a, a viable source of income. I don't know why. I just didn't think of it like that. You know, um, he's like, why don't you go to culinary school? I've got a friend who goes to culinary. I was like, culinary, like there's a school where people go to learn how to cook. You know, it's like, it was like a whole new world. And so I remember doing cold calls to culinary institutes. And there was the one in Pasadena in LA, because I was in LA at the time. And then I was in New York visiting family and uh, the French Culinary Institute, uh, you know, commercial came on and I just cold called them. They were like, so just so you know, like Bobby Flay went here and I was just like, oh, wow. Like the man who, you know, put mango in salsa, you know what I mean? Like, because I remember that being such a big deal. I remember, yeah. you know, I grew up in LA. So I remember like salsa with salsa, you know, your pico de gallo, you had your like tomato, all the different kinds of salsa. But the idea of like putting fruit in salsa was like this mind blowing experience. And um, I was like, you know, going to New York, going to culinary school in New York seems right. I was like, going to culinary school in like Pasadena doesn't seem right. I, guess I couldn't put them together. So I ended up going to culinary school there, graduated, and I went back to visit my parents. And um, I got a job at Spago, like just a random went in. My brother was like dating one of the waitresses there. And I got an interview. I remember being in, inside the, the chef's office. And the guy was like, the chef was like changing a light bulb as I was like, you know, I went in there with like a jacket on and I was like, I graduated second in my class. You know, I had like all these like accolades and he could give a shit. He was just <laughs> like, he's like, cool. You want to come in and stage tomorrow? And I was like, uh, you know, because, you know, when you graduate culinary school, you think like you're going to go in with this like hat and this like neckerchief and like they care whether or not you made your duckle orange and like, you know, uh, you know, nope. The third quarter, they could care less what you did in culinary school. And so I remember I had to like, you know, rice potatoes. I had to shuck peas. I had to like chiffonade carrots. I had to do like all this stuff. And then I worked at the fish station. 
And I remember the sous chef on the station at the time was like, yeah, she's okay. And they started me in like Garmanger three at Spago and I just worked my way up. And th that was like the kitchen too. Like, and this is the crazy part. Once I graduated school, I didn't know if I was gonna be good at the thing, right? Because it's like, you love this thing, you learned how to cook, but now you're cooking under time and you're cooking under like time management and you're cooking with other stations that food has to go up at the same time. And I was awful at it. So I was like, oh my God, what if I don't know how to actually do this thing that I actually have studied and love to do? Like, what if I'm just not a good line cook? You know, and I feel like a lot of people probably have that same experience, right? Where it's like, you love food, you have all this information about food, you went to culinary school, and then all of a sudden you get thrown on a line and you might not be a good line cook because there's, there's a flow to it. There's a sort of, you know, dance movement to it. There's a timing to it. There's an organization to it. And some people are just like kick-ass line cooks and other people just aren't. And yeah. so- And when and they aren't, no, it tanks the whole team. Yeah, and they hear exactly. about it. And, and the weird part is too, like if you think about it, right? It's like, some people are just natural line cooks, right? You see people who've never went to culinary school, never worked a day in their life and also get thrown onto a line and they just like know how to do a thing. That was not me. <laughs> it took a really long time. I've never it took even heard of Garmage 3. I mean, where I, where I oh, was. Like... Are you ready? For... Oh, Chris, Garmage 3 was, I was allowed to heat up soup and pass it to Garmage 2. And then they threw a nugget of butter in it, like blended it and put it in a pot and gave it to someone else. Like, that's all I was allowed to do. I was allowed to like heat up soup for an entire year. And that's why like, when I get, when I get uh, like culinary students that come to the restaurant, they're like, I've been on the fry station for three weeks. I was like, I heated up soup for 365 days. Don't, yeah, don't before I, I even, before I even asked to go to it, to, to make a salad. But that's the, that's the thing now. It's like, everybody wants to jump like this, but like, yeah. it's. Like, I, I can't even, I still think about that. Like that first job, my first job I applied and I ended up being a prep cook. Yeah. Out of culinary school after four years, I turned down a job, which I'm so glad I did. But my first job was working for Mark Miller as a prep cook at Red Sage in the basement. But I turned down a job as a sous chef at a gentleman's club, not a strip club like a gentleman's club in DC, which was like for all like the, you know, the suit dudes for $45,000 a year. I thought my mom was going to beat me to death. Oh, I, was like, I took such a huge pay cut. Dude, when I first started working at Spago, they offered me $7 and 50 cents an hour, which was basically the minimum wage. Then I got the, at the same week, you know, and mind you at the time I had, a, I had a one-year-old, you know what I mean? And so like, I was, you know, it wasn't like I got to just kind of like live you know, and, and it didn't matter what I was making. It actually really mattered. And so the peninsula offered me 1350 an hour, almost double, but I remember going to the peninsula and it was like, you know, it's a hotel. So as, as fine dining as it is, there was, you know, par blanched pasta. There was like, you know, uh, uh, you know, ranch dressing that was pre-made. And I remember being in the Spago kitchen where it was like, there was not one thing in that kitchen that was not scratch made. And it was um, fished every day, every single day. Every everything day. was gone you started every, from scratch every day everything was it was and so in that moment I knew I was like whatever I do here I'm going to learn everything when I, I go there I'm not going to learn as much and so I I made that same decision like early on where I was like this you know it's not going to happen when you give up in the beginning to get later well you know I say this all the time right so chefs like our, our, once we get, we, once we've accumulated a wealth of information, which takes a, a lifetime, right? A lifetime to do, 
it is our responsibility to pass it to a next generation of people. It's things that you just can't learn in a book, things that you can't really learn in travels. There's only those things that you can really only learn from another chef, someone who's been through the process who can sort of shed light on the, the totality of your career or their career, what it looks like in the different worlds that you can live in in the whole entire culinary career. And so like in order for that information to be like bestowed upon you, you have to give something in return. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I've spent 20, almost 25 years in the culinary industry. So when I get like, someone's just like, can you do this thing for me? And I was just like, why would I, it, it, it's a give and take, you know what I mean? And so the give and take is the people who I spend a ton of time with in my restaurants that I mentor, that I talk to, that I give information to, a wealth of information that I've gathered over the last 25 years. It's because every single day they're going to work with me, you know what I mean? And give their heart and soul to the restaurant industry. And then I repay them with information and then so on. And, and then there's just the cycle that continues, you know? And it's, it's interesting to me that people don't believe in that cycle anymore because I, I call it like the middle, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't give up the middle for anything. You know, you have that, that beginning and that middle and, and not that I'm at the end by any stretch of the imagination, but that middle when you listen to ev you, every word, you hung on every word that a chef was saying, and yeah, maybe they didn't say it totally in the most like correct and appropriate, you know what I mean? Where it was like, sure, a lot of the times it was screaming. Sure, a lot of the times there was an F-bomb thrown in there. You know what I mean? Sure, at some point- Are you sure there was just one F-bomb? For sure, some points family members were threatened. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. I can recall all of those. You know what I mean? Sure, my character was questioned multiple <laughs> times. Do you know what I mean? But, but honestly, it made me better at what it is that I do. I think there's definitely, I think part of that time and all of that information that was just pushed on us, however it was done, taught us one, to get thicker skin from being able to take critique from reviewers, from guests, from peers, and I think that's really important. Like we're there to give taste memories and every single individual person in that environment is facilitating that taste memory, whether it be opening the door or how they're greeted or how that carrot's peeled or did the person shell the bead properly or were they double shelled peas? All of it, did they get the string off the snap pea? It's all the little details that add 100%. up over and over again. Here's the thing, it, it's a demand for excellence is what it is. And when you demand excellence, there is, you know, uh, an aggression behind that. Is there an aggression and abuse to totally different things? Let me make that distinction very, very clear. Do you know what I mean? Very, very, very different. I'm not talking about abusive people. I'm talking about people who are very passionate and aggressive about exactly what you're talking about, the, the stem of a snap pea coming off and why that matters. And I'm gonna explain why that matters. And I had a chef, uh, one of my chef, you know, and I still call him my chef is Lee Hefter, who actually ran all of Spago. I was going to ask actually, you if you worked with Lee, because I, I Lee, see. If I can tell you, Lee just, um, Chef Lee, I still can't even call him by his actual name. Um, he, uh, him and I talk actually all the time. And he still to this day, you know, he just retired. And he sent me um, a text that said, um, I am so proud of you and I am so thankful that you are part of my legacy. Sobbing, like that's, that's how much of an impact this man has had on my life and on my career. 
And um, I was I was in the pizza station. It was Friday. I, you know, it was 400 covers. I just went down. I ran out of mozzarella. I was like taking shortcuts. I was putting Fontina. He came over. He was like, the pizza's wrong. He just knew it by sight. I was the child at the time. And I was like, how can he even tell? Now I can like smell the wrong thing happening next door. And so he, anyway, chefs came up, they cleared my station. You know, he was like, don't burn the fucking pizzas now. And I was like crying, you know, and you know, I went home and I was like, there was this pizza, but he pulled me aside and he said to me, he goes, do you want to be great? Or do you want to be mediocre? He goes, because I don't think that you leave your house every day for 14 hours and you don't get to see your daughter and you come back at one o'clock in the morning with the sous chef to like watch them clean lobes of foie gras because you want to be mediocre. He goes, but what you did today was really fucking mediocre. And so that stuck with me for such a long period of time because exactly what you're saying, there's this demand for excellence. When, you know, what we're doing is, you know, in, in some respects, even if it's like super casual, like, you know, comfort food or fine dining is we're creating this like memory and this like piece of art, you know, whether it's a lobster roll or whether it's like foie gras four ways for people. And so there, it, the demand for excellence is that, that attention to detail is that. And so, you know, and, and the discipline behind that and the consistency behind that, if people aren't willing to put in that work, they're going to get yelled at for it. And they're going to get told to go home and they're going to get told that they don't belong there. You know, and so, um, yeah, you, you know, I, you I wouldn't come change. from the same era of that, like, yeah, push, push like we got pushed, yeah, pushed hard. And we pushed were really told hard. we knew when we weren't pushing hard enough. Yeah. And we, and we were told that we weren't good when we weren't good. Yeah. And that wasn't you always know? the thing you wanted to hear. No one ever, no one wants to hear that they're, that what they're doing isn't good. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I have, you know, my, my style of, of, you know, discipline in the kitchens is really trying to, to appeal to people's sensibility of like, why are you here? Like if you're here just to make sort of like a half ass friends, you know, you're in the wrong place. And, you know, if you really don't care about food that much, you maybe want to maybe think about a different restaurant. You know, and when you put it to them in those kinds of words, where it's just like, if you're not going to really pay attention to every like small detail and care about every single dish you put up, because that dish is going to a table where people, I don't know, are getting engaged or, you know, their kids may have just gotten christened or they're celebrating, you know, a birthday and they're having the most epic time, the party that we get to throw. Do you know what I mean? And so like, if you're not going to be in that with us, like, why are you here? And it's interesting that, you know, it's that taste, it goes back to that taste memory, that life experience that we are lucky enough to be part of because we do what we do. We're not pulling teeth. We're not putting zeros and ones in a sequential order so that somebody's Tinder or Grinder or their, their apps work on their phone. Like we're there to give everything we have into a plate. And it's, we're lucky that every time the curtain opens and then closes, it's a new chance to have that experience, right? And that's what I look yeah. at it. If plate goes out, Kurt opens. There you go. There's our show. And then it closes. Plate's removed. Open again. And we get to do it all over again. But it's like, do we nail it every time? It's that consistency you keep talking about. It's like, well, oh, and the other, the other part to it too, which is so beautiful, right, is this teamwork. 
this camaraderie because you can't do it by yourself. So, no. you know, I, sure, I could maybe do a 10 person dinner by myself and plate everything. But this idea that there could be 30 people in a the kitchen, they're all so focused on the same thing. And when you have what a good night of service, you talking about 30. <laughs> I've got 30 people in my kitchen at Scopa. We've got a big kitchen. We've got a big kitchen. Are you, how many seats do you have there? Scopa is, well, now with our COVID seating, um, I mean, we're close to like 275. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So we got, we got, we have a big kitchen. I mean, we've got like seven dishwashers, eight pallets, you know, it's like, it's, it's a bigger machine that we're running over there. Yeah. But, um, but you know, when, when you have, I mean, the line is only like 17 people, but essentially like it makes up the rest with, you know, I know it's a big, it's a big line. The Scopa kitchen is a big line. And so um, it is, but it's one of those things where it's like, when you have a good, a, have you ever seen like two line cooks that like dance next to each other? It's like, they can, uh, they, they know like this person needs a hot plate. I'm going to spin down and open an oven and, and you feel the person spinning down and opening an oven. So you know how to move out of the way. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, ESP with everyone that you're working with. And when you have that synergy, there's something that happens in the kitchen that is like magical, you know, when you have a great night and then all of a sudden, oh my God, something happened. And the way everyone kind of rallies to fix it and figure it out and, you know, and the problem solving that goes into it, it, it becomes addictive. It becomes addictive to be able to have those nights of service, you know, and then again, the camaraderie and the, the sportsmanship and the team, the team aspect to it. Um, that all is that all works together and then you all kind of have a meal together and then you all kind of clean up together and so there's it's this family you know I, I I said this you know I spent many many years with people on all the holidays and night after night getting to know people sometimes more than my parents and even my daughter for that matter you know and that's an interesting way because I think we look at it there's we can't do anything without our without our teams nothing you know, they're all extensions of us in different facets, whether it yep. be front of the house, whether it be the butcher, whether it be the garmo cook, whether yep. it be saute, everybody is facilitating the same thing, bringing it all together at the same time. And that's more than like, to me, that is actually your, or it's like an orchestra, you're orchestrating magic all at once. And that's what the chef truly does. It teaches, to me, the term chef means teacher, yeah. right? That's I love that. ultimately what that means because without teaching we're only as strong as our weakest link yes right and if they're going to make a mistake we have to make sure that they have the tools to succeed yes and i think that's a really really like it's becoming a lost art <laughs> of really growing and building talent from within building them to be the next culinary leaders in the industry you know, I think it is and it isn't because every once in a while, you know, some, someone just Rick wrote on my Instagram page, you're like, you're doing all this television now. Like, how do you, I don't understand. Like, how are you in your restaurants? I was like, because we build teams. We build teams of people. I've been doing this. You know, my oldest restaurant's 11 years old. Then, you know, Scopa just celebrated eight years. It's going into its ninth year and, and you know, then four years. And so like, you know, every single one of those restaurants I opened from, from start, I built every single one of those menus. I trained every single staff member. I trained all the sous chefs that then eventually took over. And I expedited those lines. You're frozen for a minute. Oh, that's a really great face that is gonna look amazing when we launch this video. She's frozen. She's probably gonna unfreeze in a minute. And we're missing this amazing, amazing comment right here. Can you hear me? Hello. I can see you. Okay, Rosie, oh my God, I, the face was priceless. <laughs> uh, don't you, you like, dare. 
Don't you dare use that. <laughs> you were stuck. You were like mid-sentence turned your head and you had your hand here and you were like. I'm actually, I'm actually known for just taking really bad pictures. So that doesn't surprise me. Okay. Um, um, I forgot what I was saying. No, you were talking about how somebody sent you a message on Instagram, oh, which yeah, happened to me a lot too, when yeah, I was just back like, when I was doing it a lot, but you trained yeah. all your staff, the time that you had everything open and the sous chefs are now yes. the chefs running the property. Correct, correct. And, and so they're ultimate, and that's I think a really hard thing for people to understand. And also you're not just away all the time. It's not like you're yeah. away 365. It's very yeah. short stints. It is Correct. maybe four days in a cluster, four days Correct. in a cluster, but it's not. And I think that that's a big disconnect for people because they think you're like, oh, she's gone for three months straight. No, it's no. not. Four no. Days, and you shoot a lot in four days. Yeah. Then you go back and you're home for like three, four weeks. And then maybe you shoot for three days. People don't recognize that. I think that there's a disconnect. Well, and that, and then also, you know, when people ask that, you know, I'm always just like, there's an opportunity now where before, I, I touched a, a small group of people, like my community chefs that I work with, now doing television and even going on the road to do events, there's an opportunity to actually mentor and touch more people, you know, on a, on a, you know, a larger, on a larger scale. You know, the, the, the DMs that I get from people, you know, especially after they watched Restaurant Hustle and, and saw kind of what we did during the pandemic, they, people are like, wow, if you're struggling, if this happened to you, it feels, I feel better about what it is that I do. Um, you know, hey, I heard this interview or I saw you do this thing. Um, it's made me want to now do this in my career. And so there's an opportunity on a larger scale to touch more people in the culinary industry, like doing what I did. But make no mistake, did I put in the work for a hundred years before I stepped away to do television? You don't yes. look over 101. I'm 104. But no, but I'm, I'm 45 this year. You know what I mean? I just, excuse me, I just turned 45. I'm going to be 46 this year. And so it's, it's one of those things where I was like, I've been cooking since I was 19 years old. And, you know, I, I put in the time, I put in the work, you know, any person who wants to question it, I'm just like, come at me. Well, it's funny because people, you know, it's like, we all know you can cook. I mean, we all see it, you know, I, <laughs> that I know. <laughs> I've seen you at like full bore speed, able to power some food out where everybody's like, how in the fuck did Antonia pull that off? Like you had 15 minutes. Where did that come from? I know. Well, now I'm just, now I can, I, I'm like a professional competitor. You're good <laughs> cooking at for, Listen, cooking for sports, a real thing. You know what I mean? There, there's a. If they're there's betting a, on it, it's considered yeah. sport and they're betting yeah. on it in Vegas yeah. now. Yeah. Are they betting on tournament of champions in Vegas? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh my God. I love that. They bet on all of it. They bet on Tournament of Champions. They they bet on Top Chef. They bet on all of it. I love Everything. that. I mean, that to me is just crazy. I mean, yeah, like, all of it. Yeah. So you were on The Bachelorette or The <gasps> Look at you doing your homework. Yeah, I was. I made I made a guest appearance on The Bachelorette. It was 2020. All rules were off. All bets were off, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know how that happened? Yes, I got to hear this. Okay, can, I need you to say this first. Okay, The Bachelorette. What I learned about The Bachelorette more than anything was that how many people are like closeted Bachelorette watchers. That's what I learned about my stint on The Bachelorette because I was getting phone calls from people like Sherry Yard, Sherry Yard, the pastry chef, oh, yeah. like James, James Beard award-winning pastry chef who I used to work with calls me. She's like, why are you on The Bachelorette? I'm like, why are you watching The Bachelorette is the better question. Um, Michael Voltaggio, <laughs> Michael Voltaggio calls me. Why are you on The Bachelorette? 
and I was like, you watch that shit too? What's going on? <laughs> I don't watch it, but I saw a pop, it popped up on Instagram. Somebody was like, holy shit, Antonio. The, cross- yeah. the crossover we didn't know we needed. Okay, so how about this? So <clears throat> a friend of mine, a friend of mine did The Bachelor, a Bachelorette, excuse me, did The Bachelor, Bachelorette. Um, it was during COVID. Um, they, his parents weren't able to come because it was COVID and they were doctors. And it's, you know, I think it was like June of 2020. Um, I got a call. They were like, Hey, you know, he, he looks at you like a sister, like, you know, a mentor, you know, would you come and be part of family, whatever the family day is. I was like, because we had a quarantine, we were at La Quinta in Palm Desert. So I got to like, I got like a week's vacation with my own pool in a villa. So I was like, yeah, I will a hundred percent take a break from my life in 2020 and go stay in La Quinta. Uh, oh my God, Michael Faltagio's uh, uh, calling me right now. It's like, he heard me talking about The Bachelor. Yeah. Like, that's or hilarious. Answer. Let's answer him and make him make him say- answer. Hi. Um, so I'm, I'm actually doing Chris Costantino's podcast right now. And I just answered the phone. Will you say hi real quick? Yeah. They can hear you. Ha! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Love you too. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny. Like right as you called me, I was just, I literally just said your name because he asked me about the bachelorette. <laughs> and I said, I said the, the, the thing about the bachelorette. That's so funny. I was like, I was like, I'm watching. Yes, I watched The Bachelor. And yes, when I saw you, I was like, that's my friend. <laughs> oh my god, it was so good. I was like, the one thing I learned about being on The Bachelorette is how many closeted friends I have that watch The Bachelorette. <laughs> yeah, nah, you just legitimized my obsession. So thank you. <laughs> I love you so much. Um, Am do, I gonna see you? Are you are you here right now? Yeah, I'm just landing. I'm, I'm driving up from Oakland. Right are now. you gonna come? Are you gonna come bowling with us? Where I can't bowl because of my shoulder surgery. But oh, I no. can chill. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm gonna be finished in like 15 minutes, and I'll call you right back. All right, bye. Okay. <laughs> I was like, Michael Voltaggio just heard me say his name, and then he called me. <laughs> oh my god, so funny. Wait, did you hear what he just said about the Bachelorette though? Yeah, that it legitimized his love of it. Yeah, he it's legitimized his love. He's like, that's my friend. She's on the and I was like, I can't believe you watch that show. Um, so I took a vacation. I went and did it. And how about this? There wasn't one producer, not one person that was like, hey, by the way, we're gonna mention like what you do. So I was just legitimately there as like Ben's friend. And after it aired, it was like it blew up. It was like all over all of the blogs or whatever. I don't even know the words of Bachelor Nation and all the things that were like. How did no one like, you know, sort of not recognize, but uh, just sort of, uh, what's the word? Words are hard. I cook much better. Um, <laughs> like, like, why didn't anybody like acknowledge, do you know what I mean? That this was like Chef Antonia, because like literally nobody said anything. And, and so it was just this kind of like big thing that happened after. I didn't expect, I really did not expect to have that much of a, like a crossover audience at all. Um, I was actually shocked by how many people um, wrote about it and talked about it and all this stuff, like for the weeks later. That's crazy. But yeah, that was, that was my, I was not a bachelorette. 
I was not a participant. I was a friend. <laughs> I like that you clarified that. Very, I just want to clarify cool. that. It would, it would have, I would have been like, I would have been like bachelorette geriatric edition. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The best part about being on the show though, like they were, you know, all the, like the people who are in that show, they like truly believe in that. And they drank the Kool-Aid, like every producer, every, they were like, do you want to see the candle room or the, the rose ceremony room? I was like, not really. No, no I just want to sit at the pool until it's time to see my friend. I was like, I just want to see my friend Ben. Thanks. It's it's up to him to figure I out. I had never like, watched this show ever until he was on it, ever. I had never watched the show. Craziness. Absolute yeah. craziness. So let's talk about Busy Mom's Cookbook. So the Busy Mom's Cookbook, actually, um, it came out in 2011. And to be honest, it, it's the content of the book I love. Um, because it's, you know, all the stuff that I've always, I kind of wanted to share. Um, I was very, I shouldn't say very young, but I wrote the book, what, 10 years ago. Um, it was before I really, my voice was as loud as it is now. Um, I was very specific about wanting the cover to be something different. I wanted the cover to be, um, me in the kitchen at black market, Zaya, my daughter, you know, kind of sitting there like on her computer, a baby doused in flour, holding a knife me on my cell phone, like just something really like horror filmy kind of edgy, you know, cover of really making women who are like doing all these crazy things, not feel so crazy about, you know, not being totally put together and not, you know, making bad mistakes and their children hating them and all this stuff. And there's a lot of stories in the book that are that right of my daughter being like very angry with me because I had to work on a Sunday and she had to come with me to taste of the nation to do an event. But by the end of the event, was like writing a menu for our next event because she came and cooked with me and we had this great experience. Um, you know, so there was a lot of, you know, raw storytelling that went along with like recipes to really kind of give parents, not just mothers, you know, this idea that like, listen, this idea that like you can have it all is a lie. There's going to be a ton of failures. You're going to feel like guilty. Your kids are going to hate you at some point. I talked about, you know, quality of time versus quantity of time, you know, for working parents out there and how I attempt to balance it, being open and honest with your children and talking to them about why you work and why you do what you do. So they have a better understanding of it. Um, the publisher and I didn't see eye to eye. So like the cover of the book is this very sort of like, you know, um, perfectly put together female, which I am not, you have met me, Chris, you know exactly what I look like. <laughs> I am <laughs> I am highly questionable. put together. Cut it. I am highly don't ever sell your don't ever sell yourself short. You are way no, but you know what I mean. Like you know, it's like a you know a perfect little like collared shirt, and you know what I mean. Like you know, where where it just gave off the idea that I was a lot more you know uh, perfect, if you will, than than I really am. And so um, I wanted to celebrate you know the scars that we have versus you know putting together this idea that like you know, it, it, it's also perfect. And so it was one of the biggest lessons that I've learned, which is just like, you know, when I have an idea of what it is that I want to do, I want that idea put into fruition, not necessarily bend to the publisher or anyone who else thinks that they know better than I do for my own sort of creative things of, you know, what it does, whatever it is that I decide to put out. <laughs> so what's next? What, what else you got going on? What's next for you? 
Oh, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I, in 2019, right before the pandemic hit, I said, I want to take um, my television career out for a spin. Because before that, you know, I, I always put all of my energy into the restaurants and, you know, and, and all, you know, cooking and all of that, which I still obviously still do. But I was like, wow, what if I actually attempted to see, you know, if the television part of things could, could get a little bit bigger. And as soon as I kind of said it, you know, things just started, you know, happening in a big way. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's like on the burners that have been happening since, um, since I did Restaurant Hustle with Guy in 2020 and then 2021. Um, and there's just been a lot of really great things that are happening. So for me, you know, just kind of keeping it there, you know what I mean? And focusing to see what else we could, what else I could do in television, um, you know, to reach a larger audience. Um, the restaurants are working well. I don't want to open any more restaurants in Los Angeles right now. You know what I mean? It's just everything that everything is just too unstable. There's, there's just too much that's still going on. I, you know, I don't know how much people still realize, you know, but it, there's just too much that's still going on. We're still severely understaffed, more front of the house than back of the house on my end. But, um, you know, it just, it's not it's the same. It, it's a different world. Um, you know, I, I don't love, I don't love it. Right. You know what I mean? Like what's happening right now, even, even people in our own industry are turning on us. You know what I mean? Like food writers, food blogs, you know what I mean? It's, it's, everyone's turning on the industry all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to use the word chef anymore because chefs are abusive. I'm like, I can't take it. I really can't take, I really, really, really can't take it. I'm feeling very, <laughs> very pessimistic lately. Um, I'll probably, that's okay. I'll probably I, mean, it's, I think that's a really, really valid point because like we are, at a, we are at a, at a crux right now. Nobody knows what's coming next the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry as a whole, I mean, even hotels, you know, yep. if you think about the hospitality industry as a whole has been turned upside down. You know, there's no more staff, uh, guest expectations are through the ceiling. Yep. Um, they're very unkind to yep. the forward face of all of our businesses. Yep. And it's really hard. It's really hard to go to work and expect you expect people to be kind to each other and just the basics. And we're doing the best we can every day to yeah. give them the best experience. And, you know, maybe the delivery doesn't show up until, I mean, oh, you had deliveries at 8.30 at night. I've had, you know, the, between the deliveries, between the shortages that people don't understand, between the high cost of doing business that people don't understand that's happening right now. Um, you know, everyone's been locked up for, you know, a long period of time and, you know, they're coming back out and, you know, yeah, mind you, it's been, you know, a year and people are getting their bearings, but, you know, I've had hosts physically, verbally assaulted, um, you know, everything with like, you know, being vaccinated or unvaccinated, separated or unseparated, people are screaming at each other about, they're taking it out on managers, servers, bartenders, you know, it's like people have actually forgotten how to behave. I, I mean, it's it, crazy. Yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. um, yeah. I mean, it's not everyone. And, you know, on the other side of that, which is even more amazing, there are those incredible guests that go above and beyond to yeah. like, thank you because they know. So it, it's like, we either have, you know, either people are totally normal. We have people that are making up for, you know, th that they understand actually what's going on and how. I'm in the, the dregs of society. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the crazy part is, you know, but then all of these conversations are coming out there being like, people don't want to work in our industry anymore because they've been abused, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, it's not just us, it's everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like they, you can't get truck drivers to drive trucks that deliver your meat. There's no people that want it, to, so it, it's from top to bottom. It has nothing, you know what I mean? I truly believe that, I don't, you know, it's also the industry is so unstable. 
it, 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 it exposed how unstable the industry was because everything else was allowed to stay open except for us. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a true understanding of like, restaurants truly had a very minimal bottom line. And now, oh, yeah. and then as soon as the pandemic hit, it really showed how little right. the bottom line was. Exactly. And it really made people realize, you know, you heard comments like, well, maybe they should have put some away for the rainy day. Well, yeah. <laughs> wasn't the ability to put it away for the rainy day because they didn't have it. <laughs> That's insane to me. Oh, it's crazy. So let's do this. We're going to do. Are we a, doing a quick fire? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're going to do our quick fire and we're going to let you go bowling. Okay. What just you got to let what color is Michael's hair this week? I think it's blue right now. I don't know. Wow. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Hamburger hot dog. Hot dog. Ketchup mustard. Ketchup. I'm sorry, mustard. Mustard. Shame on you. You almost said it. Whole grain or Dijon? For my hot dog? Mustard, you said. Oh. Whole grain. Beef pork. Pork. Pasta noodles. Pasta. Ravioli dumplings. Dumplings. Nigiri sashimi. Sashimi. Sea urchin caviar. Caviar. Lobster crab. Lobster. Fruit, chocolate. Chocolate. Dark or milk? Dark. Red or white wine? Red. Dark beer, light beer? Dark beer. Brown spirits, white spirits? White spirits. Well, is Reposado considered a dark spirit? I don't know. I never did. I never did well with tequila. I can only drink tequila. I can't drink bourbon or whiskey. You don't want me around bourbon or whiskey. Although (laughs) gin should never be allowed. What? Oh, man. That is the thing I miss the most. Oh, I love it. Something happens to my brain. (laughs) You get the little devil. You get the little green. I don't know what happens. Like I start arguing with people. It's uh, tequila. I'm like, here's my car. What can I give you? I love you. And Jin, I'm like, I hope you die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's pretty funny. Oh man. That's a good one. Okay. Favorite guilty pleasure. And she's frozen. Oh, was this a food question? Yeah. Favorite guilty pleasure. Okay. I wasn't sure. Okay. Stouffer's French bread pizza, extra cheese, extra crispy, and then followed with Chips Ahoy cookies with whole milk. Wow. That was very specific. Okay. It's so good. It's my favorite, favorite thing. candy. Uh, favorite candy, Hershey Kiss. Fast food. In and out. What would be your last meal? Oh, I hate this question. Why? This was Jamie Bissonnette's favorite, actually. Uh, because everyone asks all the time. Um, you know, it's just so hard because honestly, it's like a whole meal. I would be like olives, um, really beautiful cheese, like crusty Italian bread, a ton of olive oil, prosciutto with salami, and then like bucatini with a fresh tomato sauce with a little bit of chili with burrata and arugula, and then like a really good term. You're like a fucking buffet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's my last meal. (laughs) Someone's like, 
Captain Crunch, no. Oh, but that would be my guilty pleasure, peanut butter Captain Crunch too. Peanut butter Captain Crunch, taco burrito. Ooh, uh, taco. Falafel or gyro? Um, gyro. Lamb or chicken? Chicken, I know, don't question it. I think it it's an opinion. It's an opinion, you can choose whatever you want. One place you've never visited you'd like to. And it's the Maldives. Not a place in the Maldives. World. Maldives. Really? Yeah. Before they sink. <laughs> They're not going to sink. Just the, the everything's melting, so everything's coming up. They're not sinking. Those should not sink. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever it is. Before it sinks, I want to go. <laughs> so, if people want to follow you, they're going to follow you where on Instagram? Chef Antonia. I was like, is this a trick question? No, this is like, so people can find you. This yeah. is the, 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 the part where you get to put your info out there. Chef Antonia, Instagrammers. And your website's up, right? Yes, chefantonia.com. Beautiful. And then they through that, they can check out your restaurants. Make sure you go and eat Antonia's food. It is the bomb. I know that for a fact because I've had it and it's delicious. And it's always a lot of fun to hang out. I mean, we've had, we've had many of a fun, crazy, <laughs> crazy events. Always, Chris Cosentino, always. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Folks, look out for the next one. And definitely make sure when you're in LA, go see Antonia. You will not be disappointed. Thank you, love.